countries. I like enjoying different kinds of food. I like going to see other, other ways of being hospitable. Uh, I, I can't imagine going somewhere and not enjoying their food. I, mean, I, I travel often to Malaysia and Singapore. I know an American guy who goes there often. He only eats, in, in Malaysia, only eats Hungry Jacks, Big Macs and Diet Coke. I mean, can you believe it? I mean, get a life. I mean, really. Malaysian food's amazing and all he has is Big Macs and Diet Coke every time. I can't, I can't believe it. And I love the way people show hospitality. Like over there in Malaysia, I've been there often, often. If they say, be our guest for tonight, they always take you out. Almost never they cook at home. If here we say, be our guest for tonight, we, we take you home normally and cook a meal for you. Just a way, a different way of being hospitable. I was in, just to drop names, I was in Kyrgyzstan some years ago, uh, in a village house there, and they offered me a cup of tea. So, I have a cup of tea. Now, if you give me here a cup of tea, you give me a full cup of tea. They gave me half a cup, of tea, like half full. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Is there a water shortage? <laughs> or, 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 or do you know why they do it? It's a rhetorical question. They do it because if they gave you a full cup, that would be enough. You wouldn't want any more and you might leave. But a half cup, you want more, so you'll stay. Is there worth saying, we want you to stay? It's, kind of, it was, it's very nice, actually. So I had four or five half cups of tea that afternoon. Uh, in, so I just like the way people show they're hospitable. That's to say, tonight, in a sense, we're going to a meal. In a sense. We're going to watch a meal tonight. Uh, with, with a chief guest is the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm assuming most of you know Jesus. I thought, well, maybe you don't all know much about him. Just, just a quick thumbnail sketch of who Jesus is, just in case you don't know much about him. He is really the central figure in history. In fact, we divide history around him, those who lived before Christ, those who lived after Christ. He lived around 2,000 years ago in Palestine. His first 30 years, fairly anonymous. He just was a, was a carpenter in a, in a place called Nazareth. At 30 began three years of public ministry, which frankly changed the world. Changed the world. And he showed us in those years what life could be like and should be like and what one day heaven will be like. He worked what we call miracles. So they weren't big miracles, they just showed displays of his authority. There were people blind from birth, he gave them sight. People who never walk, he made them walk. He cured all kinds of diseases, he cast out demons, he stilled a storm. He didn't do these things by performing operations, he just, just said a word. There's a dead girl who's 12, he says to her, little girl arise, and she gets up. He speaks because this man wasn't just a man like you and me, a person, he was God's son. And he preached. He told the world he was the king of the world. That he had come primarily to forgive people their sins. To wipe your slate clean and start again. He did this by dying on a cross at the hands of Romans and three days later rising from the dead that we could become God's friends, well, more than God's friends, his sons and daughters.
Well, that's the man we're going to meet and hear briefly tonight. So, just some background. A Lord's in some village town somewhere, don't know the name. He's been, he's been healing the sick, I imagine. He's been preaching, telling people their sins are forgiven. And a guy, I guess like today, like a, like a pastor called Simon, asked him to come for dinner. So, there's Jesus and his friends, Simon, other guests having a meal, when that day, there's a gate crasher. A woman walks in. She's called a sinner. She's probably a prostitute. And they'd all know her. This would be a small town. In a small town, you all know each other. They'd know her. She's a prostitute. And she walks in and crashes the party. Now, imagine that. This isn't a dinner, but imagine tonight, if you can, a woman walks in this, this church, St. Stephen's, a respectable Presbyterian church. She walks in with a very short skirt and a very low neckline that is nothing to imagination. She walks to the front, swaying her hips, heavy of makeup, ricky of perfume, and stands there. At that point, no one is hearing my talk. Every eye's on her. Now, what are you thinking? You think, what's... Please do something. <laughs> Don't just sit there, Pete. Perhaps just direct her to the back to sit down unobtrusively. Right? Then she lets down her hair and she begins to cry, well, to bore her eyes out. She comes to me, takes off my socks and shoes, plays a stink at a high heaven, <laughs> with, her, with her tears, she washes my feet, dries my feet, you're thinking, you're thinking, we spent weeks preparing for this sermon, she's ruining everything, this talk, she's ruining everything. John, do something, take her out. That's what's happened here. Woman's come in, ruined everything, but what are people thinking? We know what Simon is thinking, Luke tells us. He was furious that Jesus did nothing. He's supposed to be a prophet. A prophet knows God's mind, does God's will. A prophet doesn't hang around with women like that. Hangs around with men like me and he's done nothing. So he's furious. Well, that's the scenario. Well, let's hear Jesus speak. We've heard Simon's thoughts. What's Jesus thinking? Whose side is he on? Simon or the woman? Well, Jesus speaks. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon, listen up. And now, they're all listening to him intently. And whenever Jesus speaks, he tells a story. A parable. He does so here. About two men who are debtors. Now, in our country, debt's not such a big deal. We're all, most of us are in debt, aren't we? We have a mortgage in the house or paying off the car. No, well, most of us are. Our credit card. Our country has one of the biggest personal debts in the world. And if you're in debt, what's the worst case scenario? Well, the bank takes the house. That's, that's not good, but life goes on. You declare you're bankrupt. Well, you can live with that. Worst case scenario, bankruptcy. Back then, if you're in debt, worst case scenarios, you end up in prison or a slave. It's a very serious thing. 
So, Simon, there are two people who are debtors. One owes around, let's say, $10,000. That's a big debt. The other around $800,000. And the creditor cancels both debts. Just says, I write them off. Who will love him more? Easy question, obvious answer. Who will love him more? Now, actually, there's an important word play in this little story. Jesus spoke a language called Aramaic. In Aramaic, the word for debt and the word for sin is the same word. So, here's a story of a creditor with two debtors or a God with two sinners a big sinner, if you like, and a little sinner. And the God forgives both of them their sins. Who will love him more? I began a moment ago talking about hospitality and how customs differ. Now, we've come to the meal tonight with Jesus a bit late. We missed what happened when our Lord first arrived. You see, in every culture, you're hospitable to give honour to your guest. It's a way of showing respect, a way of showing welcome. Here, if I come to your house, if you invite me and I come to your house, I knock on the door, you invite me in, you shake my hand, right? You take my coat if it's winter, offer me a drink and a seat, and that's, that's how you show it. Back then in Palestine, the roads were dirty, so if, if you had a guest, you'd give them a bowl to clear, have their, their feet cleaned. You wouldn't shake their hand, you give them a kiss, normally on the cheek. And give them some perfume so they smell nice after a long journey. If I came to your house, as I, as I thought a guest, I knock on the door and you don't open the door. And I walk in and you don't take my coat. You don't shake my hand. You don't offer me a drink or say sit down. What would I think? I'd think... I don't think you want me here. I don't think you'd like me very much. That's what I think. Jesus came to Simon's house and Simon gave him no water for his feet, didn't shake his hand or give him a kiss, gave him no perfume. And here's this big sinner. And she's come in and what's she done? She's washed his filthy feet with her tears. Taken her hair and dried his feet with her hair. And kissed his feet. Kissed his feet. And then took her most expensive perfume worth a fortune, maybe a life savings, and poured it all out on him. All you didn't do, Simon... She did extravagantly, lavishly, abundantly. Why? Why is she so loving? And why is your heart so hard? When your debt's been cancelled, wow. I used to run a Bible college here in Melbourne called, it's now called NST, Melbourne School of Theology. 
In my last year there, we had a guy working in the office called Steve. We didn't pay our people very much, to be frank, on a low salary. He had a wife, uh, two little kids. The wife couldn't, she cared the kids didn't work. A big mortgage. And a car that had done 450,000 kilometres. And surprise, surprise, it broke down. He took the car to the, to the garage. The man said, the mechanic said, oh, sorry, Steve. Take you a thousand bucks to get it going again. A thousand bucks. But mind you, this, this car is terminally ill. I can't guarantee in a month's time it won't break down again, but a thousand bucks. Steve had to have the car to get to work. He didn't have a thousand bucks, but he had to have the car to get to work. What did he do? But he came to me and said, Mike, I, my car's broken down. I need a thousand bucks. It's an old car. It might, well, I just got to have the car. Can I borrow from the college a thousand dollars? Now, I don't know about you, but I just think loans get very, very messy, right? I mean, if Steve can't pay it back or Steve quits and leaves, it just gets messy. I don't, I don't want to get into loans. But I thought to myself, hang on, hang on, Steve isn't just my employee, he, he's my brother in Christ. Can't, can't we do something? So I just sent an email around the staff and said, look, Steve needs some money to get the car repaired. If you want to make a gift, just put it in the office and by Friday. We took the plate around, or people gave some money. I'll never forget the day I called Steve into my office. I said, Steve, I have some bad news and some good news. The bad news is, I can't give you a loan. The good news is, I can give you a car. Here's 9,000 bucks. I've kept his email. Words aren't enough to express how I feel. Blessed and humble by what you have done. And I pray earnestly that the Lord will bless you a hundredfold for the sacrifice you have made to provide this gift for us. All I can truly say is thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. And let me tell you, I I saw him. He said that with tears. Now imagine it wasn't Steve's car. Imagine it was Steve's house. And the bank said, Steve, we need by Friday 200,000 or we take your house. And Steve came came to me to ask for a loan. And I said to Steve, Steve, I've got some bad news and some good news. I can't give you a loan, but I can give you a house. Imagine if it wasn't his house or his car, but it was his kidney. And he had to have a new kidney. And I said, Steve, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't give you a loan for the operation, but I, I've got two. I can give you a kidney. Imagine it wasn't his kidney, but it was his heart. 
And I said, Steve, I've got some bad news and some good news. The good news is, you're younger than me. I can give you my heart. That day, 2,000 years ago, that woman heard, in a sense, that Christ had given her all he had. She heard the best news ever. That her great debt was cancelled. And she's overcome with love. And Simon stands there in his pride and arrogance and his cold, hard heart. He knows nothing about forgiveness. Her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who's forgiven little, loves little. Let me say two things as we kind of draw these thoughts together. First of all, we've been reminded tonight that we are all debtors. We are all sinners before God. Some bigger than others, but we are all debtors and we can't pay back the debt. And one day, the divine debt collector will come knocking at our door. One day, I'll stand before him with an enormous debt I can't pay back. And I could end up in prison. Forever. The second and the good news, the wonderful news, is God has freely cancelled the debt. Well, not freely, because no debt's cancelled freely, is it? Really. In my mate Steve, he walked away with a new car, cost him nothing. It cost me a fair bit of money, actually, between you and me. It cost the rest of us $9,000. If I lend you 10000 it's cost you nothing. It's cost me 10000 There's no free cancellation. It all costs somebody. Here's the thing. The cost of sin is death. I deserve to die. But Jesus paid the price. He incurred the debt so I could walk free. Debt free. Because he paid the price. That's why, John, when you ask me, what's the best thing about being a Christian? Why do I love Jesus so much? That's why. Because he paid my debt. I've got a daughter, Pippa. She's now 23. When she was eight, she ran away from home. We lived in Newtown, Sydney, ran away from home. Her mum had punished her, she got mad, ran away from home. As she went next door to a vacant lot and hid in a little, little shed next door. We had all our friends and neighbours looking for hours for Pippa. I mean, we were frantic. We were frantic. A little while ago, she recalled the event and she, she wrote this. I don't know how long I sat there in my anger. But it got dark. And I got tired. 
I didn't want to sit there alone anymore, but I was far too stubborn to go back. Finally, I heard someone at the gate and a flashlight shone right into the corner I was huddled in. My neighbour saw me. He didn't scold me. He just came over, picked me up and carried me back to my parents. Seeing my mother's tears, I promised I would never run away again. Pippa then says, I've always been stubborn. Whether it's running away from my parents or running away from God. I don't know how long I would have stayed out there in the dark if my neighbour hadn't come out and found me. I'm sure I would have kept running from God all my life if he hadn't come and got me in my stubborn state. As a child I knew that being a Christian meant I had to be good and I was good mostly but God's standards seem way too high. I could go to church and be good on Sundays and around my church friends but the rest of my life was mine And I thought I deserved to live like I wanted. I put up a good Christian front, but in my heart, I was running further and further from God. Then my life fell apart. Out of complete desperation, I gave up the fight. Just like my neighbour when I was eight years old, Jesus sought me out. He picked me up in my sinful state and brought me back to my father. She ends by saying, thousands of years ago, as Christ carried the cross to Calvary, he thought of Pippa and Pete and Erica and John and Mike and her stubborn heart. As they hammered nails into his flesh, Christ thought of Pippa and her pride. As he hung in agony on the cross, Christ thought of Pippa and her deceitfulness. As he gave up his last breath and cried out, it is finished, he paved the way so I could come home. He paid the debt so Pippa could be free. That's her story. That's my story. That's your story. So, where do we go from here? I I don't know most of you guys. I know many of you, like me, would say what I say tonight, I love him so much because I'm forgiven so much. But I wonder, if Jesus came here tonight, how would you greet him? How much love would you show? How must you understand how great is your sin and how great the debt he paid for you and me. Uh, I love Christmas at the time of 
well, celebration and new starts. Why not for you tonight? If you don't know Jesus, tonight to make that start. Come to him tonight and confess you have a great debt and leave that debt at the foot of the cross and walk away from here guilt-free in love of Christ and on your way to heaven. That's why they call it good news. I bring you glad tidings of great joy. For to you is born this day in Bethlehem a saviour, a debt cancellor, the great forgiver. I'm going to pray now. If you want to pray with me, uh, this could be your prayer tonight. Let me pray. Father, I want to confess, uh, me, Michael Rader, I want to confess again tonight that I have sinned against you so many times over these years. I've sinned against you in my thoughts, not even thinking about you. In my words, how I've used the word Christ in a way that I shouldn't. In my deeds, I'm a sinful man. My debt is enormous. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross to take that sin away and cancel that debt. Tonight I say to you, I believe you died for me. Forgive me of my sins. I entrust my life to you. Keep me with you, I pray, all the way into the Father's presence. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.